welcome to the second episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I'm Jay, and I'm joined once again by Eddie. Hi there. And today we're going to be looking at not Defender, as we discussed last episode, but rather Majora's Mask, which is number 69 in the bucket list, according to Retro Gamers magazine. So before we get into it, we'll just answer the question of why we've jumped ahead a little bit. After last week's episode, we studied through all 100 and made a few notes. I noticed that a lot of the games in there could be grouped together. There were a few that we probably couldn't say a lot about and might have to group with other games. There are some that are practically duplicates of other ones, so it made sense to pair those together. And we made the decision we will just pick a game each episode and talk about that, or games, depending if we're grouping them together. And given that it's Eddie's favourite game of all time, we decided that episode two we'd go with the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask for Nintendo 64. So that explains why we've jumped ahead to number 69. I won't make any bawdy jokes about the number because I've already got in hot water for calling Ditto a whore last week from a few people. So uh, I, I won't I won't go there. But yeah, Eddie, if you want to kick this one off, because I know it is it is literally your favourite game of all time. Yeah, it's it's not the most popular Zelda game, but personally, I think it's one of the few that has aged the best. And I'm not talking graphically, because 3D N64 graphics don't age well at all. They're, they're polygonal, they're, they're, they're not great, but they are of their time. But in terms of storyline and structure, I think... Majora's Mask, out of out of all the Zelda games, is more human. Um, it's got a far more human story to it um, than the traditional Ocarina of Time, destined hero trying to save the land because he is righteous and just and true, and he must thwart evil. And Majora's Mask sort of takes that and turns it on its head because it essentially takes that noble destined hero from Ocarina of Time and starts the game by kicking his teeth in. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the Skull Kid, who's the main antagonist of the uh, of the game, scares Epona, his horse, knocks Link off the horse, steals his ocarina, and throughout the first five ten minutes of the game proceeds to turn him into a deku scrub so this noble destined hero is now in a world he doesn't understand um that is parallel to hyrule and he is basically a tiny little useless thing made of wood um that can just about blow spit bubbles and he's no longer that destined hero of legend um, he's just a guy who's completely out of place with the world. So, so that's why I like Majora's Mask so much because it it's it sets itself up for how it's meant to continue. It's not the cheery hero's journey. It is it's bleak. It is depressing, and it it's why it's known as one of the darkest entries in the Zelda series. And not to mention the, the mask selling man having that horrible grin on his face when you first encounter him. And just being just yeah, setting the whole tone of like this darker, sort of sinister environment, isn't it? I mean like the whole the place is called Termina, which obviously is the end or death or it's all got sort of connections to that kind of thing. And I remember playing it more than I did Ocarina because I didn't have means to play Ocarina, but I did by the time Majora's Mask came out. So I played it a lot more than Ocarina and I remember really enjoying it. And a lot of my friends were the opposite way around. And I think it is quite a polarizing game, isn't it? It's 
you either absolutely love it and everything that it's about or you hate it because it's not traditional Zelda, a bit like Zelda 2 was when they changed it from the sort of high angle top down to being like a side-scrolling RPG almost where you can level up and stuff. People hated that at the time and I think this got a little bit of that sort of derision. Yeah, and I think I think that is a a pattern for Nintendo. They, the first instalment, in inverted commas, they do of a series that has a direct sequel to it. So each time they bring Zelda, Metroid, um, Mario to a new generation of consoles, they do a base game. So they reset the standard, they reintroduce all the characters um, so that the new generation of gamers can sort of understand and appreciate the direction the story takes and the overall themes and what have you. And then they make a direct sequel to it and they take it in a different direction. And it's the second one in the series that far outperforms the original in terms of theme, world building, story, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to Tears of the Kingdom because it's a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild and Breath of the Wild was brilliant. So I can only hope that they run with that sort of thematic approach to stuff and Tears of the Kingdom smashes it out of the water, really. I am I'm hoping you're right because I wasn't the biggest Breath of the Wild fan. I liked aspects, so I liked the aesthetic, thought it looked brilliant. I like the gameplay to a point. I just hate certain aspects of it, particularly the weapon degradation. For me, yeah. that ruins that game because I either have a load of rubbish weapons that don't do anything or I have a good weapon that I'm terrified to use in case I need to use it against someone stronger later on. So for the whole game, I'm fretting that I'm using something that I shouldn't be using. And it, I do it in every game I play. So pretty much every game, if there's like a, a sub-weapon that you can collect that are that are aren't the many of, or like Hogwarts Legacy, coming back to that from last week, for example, I'm not using any of the potions or anything that I'm brewing because I at any point I get into a battle, I think, well, I might get into a bigger one later on, so I'm not going to waste this potion here. And I will finish the game with a stash of potions that I've never used. And that was that was like that, but blown like a thousand times up on Breath of the Wild because I just had weapon after weapon that I was like, well, I don't want to waste this, so I'm going to keep hold of it. And the only time I actually did use my good weapons is if I was in one of those temple trials and I ran out of rubbish weapons and I was like, I don't have to, want to have to come through all this again, so I'm just going to use one of my better weapons to get through it. And other than that, yeah, they just stayed there and I, I went into battles and got my ass kicked because I was using a leaf to try and beat, like something that could electrocute me or something like that. So <laughs> I'm hoping they scrap that mechanic. I haven't kept up with a lot of the promotion for the new one. So I don't know if that is in there or whether, even if you could repair them, it wouldn't be that bad. So like if a good weapon broke, but there was the ability to find some stuff and make it work again, it was just the fact that it disappeared as soon as it broke and that was it. And you were sort of, right, I've got to go and find another good weapon before I can do anything else now. Yeah, to your point, I have deliberately avoided any sort of media coverage of Tears of the Kingdom because I didn't know a lot going into Breath of the Wild, in all fairness. I bought it on release because I'm a avid Zelda fan, so I've always bought them on release, regardless of whether they said Wind Waker, prime example of it got absolutely hammered because of its visuals but it turns out that it's one of the better Zelda games in spite of its graphics. And ironically, because of how simplistic and cel-shaded the graphics were, it's the one that's aged the best. 
it, its graphics stand up today. I always liked how it looked, and it, as you said, you look at that now and you don't know what generation of console that's from, almost. No. Whereas you look at Majora's Mask, and it's obviously an N64 game. Yeah. Uh, I know they remade it for the DS, didn't they? And it looked a bit better, but I think we'll we'll probably get onto that later because I don't think it was the best remake there's ever been. No. So we'll we'll discuss that later. But yeah, doubling back to Majora's Mask, I'm sure we'll do an episode talking about the new Zelda when it comes out, or we might even do a Breath of the Wild episode or something to, to go over all the new stuff. But in terms of Majora's Mask, it came out in 2000, which I think was only two years after Ocarina. Yep. Uh, I think there's then there's a pretty good reason for that when you start playing it is because they you reused everything, didn't they? They just reused all the assets. You see a lot of asset flip games these days with like Unity Engine and stuff where people literally take some character models and chuck them into a terrible game. Whereas this was the opposite. They'd reused them all to make a game that was superior to the first one. Yeah, um, the funny thing about if you read into the history of Majora's Mask... Um, it basically the team that did Ocarina, um, headed by Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, decided that they wanted to make um, some remasters of the Ocarina of Time dungeons, which would then go on to become the Master Quest that you got free with Wind Waker on the GameCube. And one of the creative directors for Majora's Mask was working on that project and he basically started building his own little side project because he didn't like the idea of just rehashing the same old thing. So he started building separate dungeons and then after a while he started realising, oh, actually, this this could be quite good. Um, so he approached Shigeru Miyamoto and said, uh, can I make my own Zelda game? And Shigeru turned around and went, yeah, you can if you make it in a year. <laughs> and he just sort of went, Okay, <laughs> so he took a small amount of the ones that were building the Ocarina of Time remaster um, and pulled them off into a separate team, and they that's why they reuse so many assets, because it's got such a tight turnaround. But, but I think in gaming, you either, if you give yourself such a short turnaround, you either produce something that's utterly beautiful, like Majora's Mask, or it's an utter car crash. But on the polar opposite, if you give yourself too much time to make something, Duke Nukem, is it Duke Nukem Forever? Forever, yeah. Yeah, that came out and that was that had like a 12-year creation cycle and was utter garbage. <laughs> so you can give yourself too much time to create something. I think what people sort of need to realise as well, which some newer gamers probably won't, is that back then it wasn't like you could put a game out in a year and then go, oh, we'll fix all the stuff that's wrong with it in downloadable patches over the next three months. That just wasn't an option, was it? Like you got the cartridge and that was your game in that cartridge for good or for bad. That was the finished product. And I can only think of a handful of times when they actually recalled cartridges because of something being broken them. Um, there was a wrestling game, WWE No Mercy, got recalled because there was a programming error in it where it wiped all your save files. And that is the only one in N64 that I can think of that, that actually they said, oh, look, we've we've made a terrible mistake on the version that's on that cartridge. I think they put an old build onto the cartridge or something along those lines, and it had this bug in that wiped it every so often. But yeah, there wasn't a method, was there, to sort of go, oh, actually we broke that so we need to fix it back then they had to get it spot on 
to put it out. Whereas these days, developers go, all oh, right, well, we've said we're going to release it now. So we're releasing it now because it's sort of functional. Cyberpunk being a great example. And then we will yeah. we will gradually fix it. I think they did the same with um, No Man's Sky. That was the same. Put out a, a really, really base product and then we'll build it up to be something good once it's released. I think it can work. Some I know Nintendo have seemed to have gone that way recently, don't they? With Mario Strikers was a bare bones mess and they've built that up. We Sports Resort was bare bones mess and they've released some more stuff for that. I think they did the same with the golf one, Mario Golf. Um yeah. so yeah, that that seems to be like a viable way to do things these days. Whereas back then you just couldn't get away with it. If Majora's Mask could have had a game breaking bug in it, that's thousands and thousands of cartridges they'd have to recall and send new copies out. So they were a lot more cautious back then. And to to come up with something like they have in a year, even reusing assets is is amazing because they've not reused the location have they all the locations are new i know that there'll be bits of them but obviously the layouts are new the the enemy placements are all new the dungeons are all new there are quite a few new models in it aren't there so the i know the the moon obviously yeah must have took them a while to do because that is absolutely terrifying i think a lot of the zoras and the gorons and and whatnot, they would have had new models, wouldn't they? Because they expanded on their yeah. locations. And then there's there's links, different forms, which have obviously had a lot of time gone into them, and they've all got their own specific instruments and all that kind of thing, aren't they? So it wasn't like they just threw together Ocarina and jumbled it up. There's genuine effort gone into it over that year, and and I think it really shows when you start playing it. And and I think that's that's one of the nice bits about the story. You you recognise certain things. But because of the storyline, the, the, it's like being in a dream. You recognise the faces of the people, but the words they speak and the actions they do aren't familiar to you. So it has that sort of disjointed sense of reality to it. And there's plenty of theories around what the story is. and I'm sure we'll we'll have a discussion about those in a minute because they, you, we were talking about it last week and they are fascinating. I'd sort of heard them before, but when you started piecing it together. So yeah, we'll look at those in a minute. But is there any characters in it that do play exactly the same in both? Is the postman the same There's in both? There's only three. There's only three that carry over and are supposed to be from Hyrule. Um, so the Skull Kid is one that mm. has come from Hyrule because at the very end of the game, the Skull Kid walks up to Link, sniffs him and says, your smell reminds me of the fairy boy who taught me Saria's song in the forest, which mm. is from Ocarina of Time. Link is the same um, and the Happy Mask Salesman is the same. Okay. Pona is also the same because obviously she's come with Link. But everything else, they're all different characters. Well, they're all the same characters, but with different personalities and what have you. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, the postman is still the postman, but he's not the same person, even yeah. though they, he's the same sprite and everything. Because some of the sprites, they changed up, didn't they, to be like completely different characters, even though they look the same and that sort of thing. But the postman remains the postman, but he is a completely yeah. different person. It's been a while since I've fully played through it. I had a little go earlier in the week, because I've got the DS version that isn't great, just to refresh my memory with it. And yeah, it still holds up, even that version of it. I, I only planned on playing it for sort of 10 minutes and I was on it for a few hours, just getting back into it all uh, because it is so engaging, especially with the three-day cycle. So this game, compared to Ocarina and all the other Zelda games, goes in sort of a three-day cycle, doesn't it? So you've got 
three days until the world ends, essentially. And there's all these intertwining storylines from the characters going on, and you have a little journal to keep track of them all. And to complete the game 100%, you have to fill the journal completely, but there's no possible way you can do that in three days. So when you get to... Well, you can do it at any point, can't you? But usually when you get to the third day and all hope is lost, you can play a tune on your ocarina and it it resets you back to day one. Uh, But you keep the progress in your journal. I think you keep your rupees, do you? No, your, your rupees go. You have to save them with the banker. Oh, you have to put them in the bank, yeah. But they're, if they're in there, for some reason, they don't go, which has never really made sense Bizarre. to me. So, yeah, everything resets, and you essentially start the game again, but with a little bit more knowledge from what you found out in the previous three days, and you just rinse and repeat, and you sort of... Things happen at certain times on certain days, don't they? And if you're not there for them, then you have to restart the cycle again and make sure you are. So I can see why some people don't like it, because there is a bit of, oh, I've missed that on day three, so now I've got to go all the way back to day one. And there is an Ocarina song that will progress time, I think, isn't there? So you can get to the third day. Is that right? Yeah, you can either fast forward time so it speeds time up or you can slow time down so it runs at half speed. Um, and that's how you're able to get to those places and meet the timelines within a certain person's character arc. But that's stuff you have to learn, isn't it? Those songs by doing temples or meeting certain people. or So when you first go into it, you literally get the first three days to try and find your feet, figure out what you're doing. And then, yeah, you can sort of upgrade yourself, can't you? As, as the Zelda games go, get your bow, get your bombs get a bigger bomb bag or that kind of thing but in this really strange setting where you know in in two days time or one day's time you're gonna have to go all the way back to the beginning and start again and i think that was the jarring thing for a lot of people it's not i can take as long as i want to sort of mess about and explore places you're very much on a schedule and you have to keep up with it and i think that's probably what alienated a few people but for me it made it far more interesting. Yeah, um, I, th- I don't want to say it was definitively the first game to use a time loop, but it's certainly one of the more mainstream games to use a time loop mechanic. And it's that game style has sort of gone into a bit of a renaissance lately because we've had 12 minutes, we've had Deathloop, uh, we've had a load of games where a reset cycle is passed built into the mechanic where you can relive days and time. So I think Majora's Mask was probably like the progenitor of that. So certainly the first one I can think of. I mean, you weren't getting anything like that on a Commodore 64 or something, were you? So unless there was something early days of like... I don't know, Mega Drive or... I can't I can't think of anything on the earlier consoles that had that level of depth. It was all... Unless it was an RPG, I could imagine like a, a JRPG or something potentially having that built into it that I've never heard of. But I think Majora's yeah. Mask was the one that made it mainstream, wasn't it? To, to sort of have this endless cycle where you could go back and, and correct the mistakes that you've just made in the previous three days and, and get progress and actually see definitively in that journal, right, I've, I ticked that bit off on the last three-day cycle so now shall I go and do the end bit of that storyline or shall I move to a different one and have a change of pace and you could you could jump and chop and change between them and sometimes try and get as many I, I presume there's speed runs of this where people know where to be at every minute and they'll zip around the map and try and get as many quests done in one three-day cycle as they can and all that kind of thing but to play it when you have no idea where you needed to be or what you needed to do and trying to figure that out was so 
satisfying when you saw that check mark come up in your journal like right i figured that one out onto the next bit and and it is possible to finish the game without doing all those journal entries isn't it you can just there's certain things you have to do but some of them are purely for an additional mask or to get the 100 percent completion so it is a play it how you want it sort of thing as long as you can hit the main points you can finish the game whenever you want but i never did that i always went for the 100 percent and carried on trawling through three-day cycles trying to figure it out until I actually got there. Yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm not going to really, like you say, we're going to touch on the overall themes and stuff like that later, but in terms of building a story, in RPGs, everything you do in Majora's Mask would be seen as a side quest. So all the little yeah. side stories and all the little tangents this, the game goes on, it, it would be considered a side quest in any other RPG. Whereas this, they're, they're part of the core of the narrative. If you want to experience the story in full, and you and you do, because otherwise bits of the story won't make sense, um, and you get a mask for, solely by getting all the other masks that make the last boss an absolute cakewalk. But it makes you want to do the side quest, not because it's building your XP or it's building your experience or anything like that. It's because it's fundamentally part of the world. And I think uh, along with the, you know, Link's no longer the destined hero, he, he's doing these things for these people because he feels like he wants to. And it's one of the few games where Link is actually a character rather than just destined hero and, sell, and you know, full of righteousness and stuff like that. He's helping these people because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, because they're all they're all in in a cycle of well, sort of grief, isn't it? They're all they're all in a situation where they are in dire straits, and he's helping them almost out of the goodness of his own heart. I mean, he's lost as it is, isn't he? So he is. There is something yeah. in it for him to sort this out. But when it all boils down to it, he could just ignore all those people and go about his business. But like you say, to get the full story and to get everything out of it helping those people builds up this massive world and there are genuinely like emotional bits in that game like you don't expect it from a hack and slash world exploring n64 game that there would be as in much as much emotion in it as there is and i think to write again to write that in a year and and get all these intertwining stories woven together and have them all work off each other not just on a technical level of building the game, but also on that emotional level. It's just, that's why I like it so much. And I think that's probably a reason why it's your your favourite game, because it's just, there's so many layers to it. It's not just you turn it on for a bit and you slash a few enemies and then you turn it off. It sort of sticks with you. And I mean, what, when did it come out? 2000? So what? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 23 years later and it's still right up there. And I can remember most things about it. Like I say, I barely played this, this last sort of week and I can still remember loads of the storylines, loads of the dialogue, loads of the missions that you have to do. The temples are a bit hazier because I tend to mix them up with Ocarina's temples, but the actual sort of storyline, yeah, it's it's still in my head twenty three years later. What an achievement to be able to do that. And there's a generation of people that have that forever to go back to. Ocarina definitely hasn't stuck with me as much as that has in terms of storyline. So I just, yeah, it's one of those things where, and and we'll touch on the uh, the sort of undertones or what people have. Because I don't think Nintendo have ever actually confirmed some of these theories, have they? Which you're going to talk about. But I think it, when you look at it, it's hard to not think that's what they had in mind when they were putting it together. Yeah. And uh, to take your point on how well it's aged and um, how much it sticks with you, 
it is it's one of the few moments in my gaming life anyway that if you could wipe your own memory and go back to experience it for the first time again i would happily do that because it's one of those that once you get to the end of it and you, there is that satisfaction from completing it but at the same time there's the sadness of i'm never going to be able to experience that for the first time ever again and it's one of those moments that I'd just be like to go, yeah, do you know what? Erase that. Go back and do it all again. Like I'd never experienced it before because it is that good. I think I'd liken it to like when you get to the end of a really good book and you, you're sort of yeah. happy that you've enjoyed that book. But at the same time, you're like, oh, I'm not going to get to experience anything more with those characters. And I'm not going to be yeah be able to experience this again the same way. Even if I read it again now, I know what's coming and it's not going to be the same. And you sort of have that. I don't know. It's almost like grief isn't it when you get to the end of something that good that um, I'm out of that now and I'm not going to be able to ever be back in it the same way that I was that first time so yeah I completely get that can't remember another game that I've had that with not to that extent anyway Um, there's a few where it's been like oh I've really enjoyed playing through that and now I've got nothing else to do on it but not to that same degree of oh I want I want to know more about these characters I want a sequel that that tells me what happens after it and it just never came did it i don't know if they ever planned on doing another one but that was it for that chapter wasn't it and then it went to wind waker and spirit tracks and all those other ones that use that more sort of cartoony graphic style yeah um originally the the when the game was in development it was called zelda gaiden so which essentially translates to zelda side story so Mm. it was always intended as a spin-off essentially but the fact that it gained such a cult following after like years after people still people still go to like comic-con dressed as skull kid with the majora's mask on and stuff like that so that that's how well it has aged well it's still doing collectibles isn't it i mean we we talked about the light up majora's mask last week after we'd finished recording that came out what a couple of years ago and it sold out almost straight away I mean, that just tells you how popular that game still is. That it can, I mean, it is a nice collectible anyway, but I think you'd have to have a tie to the game to want it. And it sold out yeah. almost immediately. So, And it's also influenced quite a lot of things as well, because there's a group of, there's a collective called Theophany, who've done a um, an orchestral version of the soundtrack, and they've done two albums of it. Um, so I've got both LP versions of it, because I do like the sound of LP. And they did a, there's a short on YouTube called A Terrible Fate, I think. And the graphics on it are sublime. And it essentially tells the first five minutes of Majora's Mask's story, albeit a little bit truncated and a little bit shorter. And it tells a bit of the story of the Skull Kid and how you end up in this situation. And so they've done the albums. But from that, the team that did that um, video and have done the LPs also made Kina Bridge of Spirits, which came okay. out about a year ago for PS4 and Xbox One. And that's all around grief, masks, and you can see how much it links to Majora because of their passion for that project. Yeah. And it's just nice to see. And we'll put a link in the description to the video on YouTube that you just mentioned uh, if anyone wants to check that out, because I've seen it as well and it is really good and it does give you a feel for what that, this game entails if you've not played this before. So if you give that a watch, it might be that you actually want to go out and get Majora's Mask and give it a whirl. Um, but I'd advise getting either the N64 or the GameCube version. The GameCube promo disc one was a pretty faithful port, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just, it, it was a bit glitchy. It was a glitchy port, um, 
but um, I think if you get the Switch expansion pass, um, it oh, is it on that? N64 titles, yeah, it all comes free with the expansion pass. I mean, it ain't cheap, but if you've got a spare 30 quid, I think. I think it's cheaper than buying that bonus disc for GameCube these days. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, that's probably the best way to experience it at the minute, I would say. I'd, as as nice as the 3DS port looks with the 3D turned on, it's they've changed some stuff in it, haven't they, control-wise, and it makes certain parts of the game almost impossible to complete. So I know there's a bit in it, specifically when you when you Deku Link in the swamp and you have to jump across some lily pads and do the sort of spin jump. And they've messed up the controls to the point where that mechanic doesn't work properly and it's nearly impossible to spin jump to where you need to get to. And you really have to get the timing exact to even get what is normally like a two-second jump that you would do 20, 30 times while you're playing the game and get through it straight away is practically like impossible to do. So I'm sure there's other parts of it where this has come into play, but that's the one that sticks with me because that's the one where I really struggled. And it's just bits like that where they've tinkered with stuff they didn't need to. All they needed to do with that game is make it look nicer and put it out and it would have been fine. But they've changed control mechanics for no apparent reason. And it has, in certain places, they've obviously... I don't know whether they didn't test it fully or whether the person who tested that bit was just so good at the game that they did it straight away and they didn't even realise that that there was a problem. But it has, yeah, negatively impacted on it. And, And I've noticed that a few times, like when they did the Crash Bandicoot remakes recently they they changed some control mechanisms in that and it made that bridge level practically impossible to do because you kept sliding off the edge of the the planks yeah they smoothed off all the hit boxes didn't they so mm. they rounded them off nicely which meant that if you did land on the platform you literally just didn't land on it quite as much <laughs> as the game would have liked you to and you just, and just slid straight off, off. So it's stuff like that that I don't get why they do that when they remake stuff. Just give us a nicer looking version. Some quality of life improvements are nice, but there was no need to do it in, in that Zelda is, is what I'm getting at, I suppose, in a long way around. But yeah, I will let you now touch on the themes that, that Majora's Mask are meant to have got included in them. As, as I say, it's never actually been confirmed, I don't think, by Nintendo that this is what the game was built around. But when you listen to this next bit, if you've played the game, you will know that there's almost no way it couldn't have been. So I'll let you take over on that one because you're you're definitely expert on this bit. Uh, yeah, this is where I wax lyrical for the next for the remainder of the video. Um, so essentially, <laughs> uh, the theory is that um, Majora's Mask is basically a story of grief um, and the five stages of grief um, and how we deal with sadness and loss. Um, so initially, obviously, at the end of Ocarina of Time, Link, hero of the land, uh, returns the Master Sword to its pedestal in the Temple of Time, and Navi, his fairy that has accompanied him throughout the entire game, leaves him. So she floats up into the ceiling and leaves him on his own. Um, and at the beginning of Majora's Mask, which is set a couple of months after Ocarina, we find Link and Epona in the Lost Woods, um, and through a text description on the screen, it is explained that Link has gone in search of a close friend who he has lost, which is, we assume Navi. A lot of people think it may be Skull Kid, but uh, I personally am more inclined towards the fact that it's Navi that he's looking for. And that that grief and that loss of the friend is sort of what drives the rest of the narrative. So the game split into five areas. You get um, Clock Town, 
which is where you first emerge into t- the world of Termina. You get the Woodfall area, which is run by the Deku tribe. You get the Snow pe- Snowhead uh, Mountains, which is where the Gorons live. You get the Great Bay Temple and the Great Bay Reef, which is where the Zoras and the um, Gerudo live. And then you get Ikana Canyon, which is where a new species or a new um, group of people is introduced from outside of Ocarina of Time. Because you get um, the Garrow and the um, I- the Akana Kingdom, essentially. So, if anyone doesn't know, so there are five stages of grief. There is um, denial. There is anger. There is bargaining. There is depression and hopelessness, and there is acceptance or enlightenment. And the game literally follows that path as you go through each area. So you first emerge into Clocktown, where there is a moon that is three days away from headbutting itself into the planet. And no one seems to notice. And if they do notice, they don't seem to care. They ju- they're just determined to set this festival up to celebrate time. And they all just keep looking up at the moon and going, oh, that's a bit close, isn't it? And they're just carrying on with their daily lives. <laughs> and when it's pointed out to them, most of them just either say, oh, it's not going to fall, or it doesn't matter, we're going to do the, the festival anyway. So that's your denial side of things. You just, they're all in denial. They don't. None of them admit to needing help either. They don't request your help. You just, out of the goodness of your heart, realise that there is a problem for them and you help them through that. You then move on to Woodfall, uh, where a group of uh, the Deku tribe have basically had their princess go missing because she's gone to the temple of the area to slay the beast and the gone missing essentially and the ruler of the Deku kingdom has decided to blame the n- local race of monkeys for her having gone missing and he is so angry about the fact that these monkeys have uh, kidnapped his daughter in inverted commas so that's your anger side of things and you then move on to Snowhead, where the normally quite verdant area of the Snowhead Temple has been avalanched with snow because of the um, monsters in Snowhead Temple. And the brave ruler of the area, uh, Darmani, has gone and tried to get to Snowhead Temple and has died in the process. Uh, when you find him, he is a ghost and he is he begs you to bring him back to life. He, he asks you to bring him back to life so that he can go and see his son, so that he can save his people. Um, and he is desperate to be brought back to life. And he tries to bargain with Link to bring him back and help save his people. So there's the bargaining side of things. When you get to the Great Bay, you find the Zoras. And the main one of the main characters in the Zora area is Lulu, who's like one of the, she's the lead singer of the Indiegogos, the Zora band, which is a delightful name for a band. <laughs> and she's had her eggs stolen by the Gerudo tribe um, because they see value in it and they are wanting to try and um, get money from, from them for Zora eggs. Um, and she has fallen into depression and despair and she no longer sings um, because of that. She can't, she, she has lost her voice out of the sheer sadness of having lost her children. So again, Link goes, gets the eggs back. She then gets her voice back and we then move from there to the kingdom of Ikana. And throughout the entire area of Ikana, you help people or you meet people who you bring to bring to a point where they accept what has happened to them. 
So they bring from Ocarina of Time, they bring the two musician brothers, uh, Sharp and Flat, I think it is. <laughs> um, and when you get into Sharp's tomb, you eventually make him realize that he is dead, that there's no way for him to be brought back to life. There's, there's no way to save him and his brother. And you get him to accept his fate. There is a section some of the way through that uh, area of the game where you have to race a giant Stalfos up up a uh, stone path and you get to the top um, and he accepts his fate and he recognises you as his new true leader and he gives you a jaunty farewell salute before breaking into dust. Um, and then once you get into the actual Ikana Kingdom itself you find the three uh, with the ruler and his two underlings in there and using the light arrows um, and the mirror shield to burn away the curtains in the room, you can cast enlightenment upon them and they all willingly accept their fate of, yeah, we are dead um, and it is time to move on. So yeah, it brings it in a nice little circle of the age, the stages of grief. I mean, if that's by mistake then that is amazing work on their part to, to get that level of detail by mistake. So for me, it has to be what what it was all planned around. And it works so well, like where you've just explained it there, it, it links together so well, pardon the pun, and it just plays through. So, so like it, I said earlier on that you sort of have to figure everything out for yourself, but at no point are you sort of really stuck as to what to do, are you? At least in terms of the main storyline. Some of the side quests are a bit bizarre. Hands coming out of toilets that you have to give pieces of paper to. I mean, they've, they've not toned down the weirdness. Uh, and the happy mask salesman in general is quite creepy, and some of the masks are a bit strange as well, aren't they? And Ocarina had that sort of I think it's the bit where you first travel forward and the marketplace is just full of those zombies that will jump on you back. Redead. Yeah, and I think that bit was so jarring, wasn't it, in, in Ocarina when you first get there and it's like, oh this place used to have the little jaunty, jangly tune and there's dogs running around and stuff. And now it's just full of zombies that will attack you if you get near them. And then there was that boss in Ocarina, wasn't there, down the well that has all the hands coming out of the floor. I can't remember its name now, but I hated that thing as a kid. I think it's I think it's called Dead Hand. Do you mean the thing that's essentially white with like a massive lower jaw that tries mm, yeah, to bite that's it. you? Yeah. Yeah. So there was bits in Ocarina that were very strange and a bit scary, and they've not taken that away from Majora's Mask. Slightly less scary, although the moon, the face on the moon is enough to scare anyone half to death. But yeah, the stuff like the hand coming out of the toilet and asking for a note to use as toilet paper and things like that. Like, I don't even know how they came up with that as a concept to put into a game because it, it doesn't make sense on any level, really. But it's it's one of the things that is that memorable about that game. You're never going to be able to talk about Majora's Mask for very long without it coming up that there's a hand in a toilet that you have to give a piece of paper to. And it's just one of those things. And there's a bit about, there's a bit about aliens, isn't there, on a farm that are abducting cattle or sheep, is it? And you have yeah, to sort of shoot um... them down. Yeah, it does. It does take like real left turns into Bonkersburg. Does Majora's Mask at some points? Um, it, it just goes off on its own little tangent, and you are just sat there sometimes thinking, "What?" So I do appreciate that because I like games that have got a bit of a, a weirdness, especially if it's stuff that you sort of have to hunt down, like on 
like Fallout, for example, I think, is it New Vegas, where you can find Indiana Jones in a fridge, taking the mess out of the fourth film, and things like that, just little bits that, little in-jokes, and they're almost Easter eggs, aren't they? Not so much in Majora's Mask, as they are bits that you have to do and, and that kind of thing, but yeah, I like that little surreal edge that every so often just to sort of snap you back a bit and go, oh yeah, that was quite funny. And then it hits you with two lovers that have been split apart because one of them's been turned into a child and stuff like that. And and then it sort of brings you back to reality a bit more and the, the emotional side of it. It is just such a brilliant game. And it just talking about it, this like, like when we talked last week and I'm talking now, I do want to play through it all again. I remember playing through it just after I'd left uni and that's when I finished it. I never finished it fully back in the day. It was sort of later when I got the GameCube, the glitchy GameCube version. So if anything, brownie points for getting through the glitchy version of it with all masks. Yeah, the masks, I think, are the other big bit of it, aren't they, to discuss and how it incorporates those. Because they they were in Ocarina, but they were more just a fetch quest. You grabbed one from the shop, took it to the wanted it, and that allowed you to go and get the next one. And then when you finished, can't remember what you got. Was it a piece of heart? You get access to all the other masks. So you get stuff, you get the Goron mask, you get a Zora mask, um, and it allows you, you get additional dialogue. From right. if you walk up to a Goron wearing the Goron mask, they talk to you like a brother sort of thing. Before mm. I think that there is a realization eventually that hang on a minute, you're a bit too small for a Goron. Um, <laughs> what are you wearing that mask for? Um, and then I think yeah, the, the bunny ones... hood is the bunny hood the one that actually has a tangible effect. It makes you run faster, doesn't it? If you're wearing that, yeah. I think there was a um, mask of truth. Oh that yeah, you where to it... speak to the stones. Yeah, yeah, and they gave you little hints, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, because I always mix that up with the lens of truth because you need that down the well, don't you, to see through the hidden walls and stuff. When I always thought, oh, why does the mask not just do the same thing? It would have made it a lot easier if you could put the mask on and then just walk around as if the lens was on. But yeah, in when you get to Majora's Mask, the masks actually have a purpose or a proportion of them do, I suppose. You've got the three main ones, haven't you? So the Deku, the Goron and the Zora masks, which turn Link completely into one of those species this time around. And then they have different, it's got different abilities, different musical instruments rather than the ocarina. So I think the Deku shrub gets like pipes, doesn't he? Or like a, is it like a, almost like a pipe organ, like a yeah. personal pipe organ. The Zoras, it's a guitar, I think, is it? It is, yeah. And then the Gorons, is it drums? Yeah, the Gorons get drums. So you can put together a full link band if you really wanted to with all the little bits. And I think, is there a mission in there where you do that, where you sort of play all your little bits and it stitches them all together? Yeah. Um, so the bit where you go to rescue the cows from being abducted by aliens, if you complete mm. that side quest, you get a, um, a cow mask. Uh, it's called the Romani mask and it gives you access to the milk bar in, in, uh, the clock town, which is a really exclusive establishment where you can, oh, it's like a speakeasy, but for milk. Um, it's just bizarre. That must be like a Nintendo not allowing alcohol in the game, so we've turned it into milk thing, you would think. I, I would think so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you go down in there and you find that the uh, the manager of the Indiegogos is in there and he asks, uh, one his side quest is to help him find a tune that the Indiegogos could play um, that would be that you know be the best selling hit, and yeah, you put on different masks, go stand on certain areas of the stage, and you play music, and you get 
a band of links essentially in different forms playing music it's great so yeah there's there's that aspect of the mask and then some of the other masks the, the bunny hood still speed isn't it some masks give yeah. you access like you said the the cow mask gives you access to the bar so you can further quests there's a few other ones i think so like the one of the masks you have to wear when you talk into those kids the the kids that are running around in clock town and then they'll actually interact with you if you've got is it the keaton mask for that one the Keaton mask, uh, which is essentially Pikachu, is for the lovers' side quest. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. yeah, you get you do get different dialogue out of the kids if you wear it. But each mask sort of unlocks other portions of other people's story or unlocks other areas of the map. So without certain masks, you can't get through to ikana kingdom and stuff like that so yeah they all they are all integral to completing the game in its entirety and then if you of course if you get all the masks just before the final boss there's a bit in sort of a a, like a meadow isn't there with a big tree and you go and talk to somebody and then you can sort of trade all your masks in if you've got the full set to get the fierce deity mask yeah um, yeah because you go into the moon uh, at that point, mm. and inside the moon is a lovely meadow with a tree in the middle of it, and there's all four of the gods wearing their mm. respective masks running round the outside. Um, and then there is Majora who is sat under the tree as a, with. They're all essentially little children with the, who are all playing, except for Majora who's sitting because they don't want to play with him. Um, and he's sat under the tree, um, and yeah, you trade all your masks to all the gods, and once you've done that, um, Majora gives you the Fierce Deity mask, which is God Link, essentially. Yeah, it's the only place you can use it, isn't it, is the final battle, and it turns you, am I right in remembering, sort of white white tunic, and you can just obliterate anything. Yeah, white tunic, white hair, <laughs> and you get a really cool sort of double-bladed curved sword um, that fires magic Mm. when you're at full health and just turns the last boss battle into an absolute joke. I've never done the last boss battle without that, so it looked difficult, or like I could tell that it would have been difficult if I couldn't just stand there and keep slashing until it died. Uh, So yeah, it's almost a cheat code, isn't it, getting that mask to get the last boss out of the way, but... It sort of feels like you've earned it if you've done all the other side quests. So they're, they're your two routes, aren't they? You either put all the effort into the actual game and get as much out of it as you can, or you go straight to the boss and then have to put a hell of a lot of effort in to actually beat the last boss. So again, it's an option for the player if they want to just speed straight through to the last boss and try and beat it normally, they can. But you put the effort in to really see everyone's stories and it rewards you by making that last boss incredibly easy to beat. Yeah, um, and again, that comes back to you. you it, it's almost like a, an ideal society sort of theory where you you do things and you help people because it's the right thing to do, which I don't think people tend to do anymore. It's every man for himself. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> and your reward for that is that you get help yourself um, in, in when you your need quest. It most, yeah. When you need it most. So yeah, it's it's really a nice little cyclical arc for the entire story really i think that's all we've got to talk about on majora's mask unless i've missed anything i think we've covered it off fairly well there and we're nearly up to the hour point already 
in terms of other gaming news this week, I don't know if there's anything that's caught your eye. Uh, I've been Hogwarts Legacy in a bit more to try and get through it and finally started to do quest missions rather than just run around like an idiot, not really achieving much. So I've, I've been making progress on that. And then there's also a game called Atomic Heart. I don't know if you've seen that. That's come out yes. on Game Pass. And I'm really on the fence on it. I sort of want it because it and it's free, so why would I not get it? Because I've got Game Pass. But I was speaking to a friend about it and we were saying it's sort of got it looks a bit bioshocky, a bit fallout. It seems to combine them. But the videos that I've seen don't make me want to play it as much as the concept. I don't know. The enemies all just seem a bit bog standard and I don't know. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a go, but for me, I'm really on the fence about it. Normally, if I saw a game that was Fallout and Bioshock stitched together, I'd be all over it. And this one's just not 100% drawing me in yet. But maybe when I install it, I'll, that'll be my life gone for a few weeks, and I'll just be playing that constantly. Yeah, and I know um, Bioshock and Fallout are part of this list that we're gonna run through and get to eventually but yeah i, I know what you mean about um, atomic heart it does look like it is an amalgam of those two games but w- nothing's made me go i need this game not nothing i've seen and uh, i think that's a problem if if you can't mm. sell it to me in a trailer yeah i've watched a couple of clips i've not watched a full trailer and just yeah the, there's something about it that makes me go it looks a bit I don't know. Like, I can't even put it into words. But when I saw the enemies, I was like, they all look the same and they don't look like they've got any personality or there's no character about this. And that's what's putting me off. And maybe I'll be completely wrong when I play it. Maybe next episode I'll I'll come back and I'll say, oh, it's amazing. Best thing, best thing I've played all year. Get rid of Hogwarts Legacy. I'm all about this now. But I just don't feel like I'm going to get that. I think the last game where I sort of played something similar was Outer Worlds. I don't know if you played that. Yeah, which is essentially a Fallout ripoff in, in every sense. Like the, it's got practically got vats. You collect weapons, upgrade weapons. You do quests for people. It's in like it's not. It's on different planets as opposed to Fallout being a nuclear war related. So I suppose that's where it differs. And I went into that and played the hell out of it for like three weeks, and then one day I just didn't play it for a day, and then I've never been back to it. And it's one of those things that I just can't remember what I was doing, where I was. And it's going to be too much effort to try and figure out all the controls and what I was doing and and what my next steps are and what my best weapon is and all that kind of thing. So I just sort of cast it to the wayside and maybe I'll restart it at some point and try and be more focused on it. But I think as you get older and you get less time to play games, potentially, games like that become more of a chore. Like I would love to start Skyrim again, but I just can't find the time i'm like when am i going to get a solid hour or two solid hours to blast through this and make some progress without forgetting everything i've done so i think that's why these days i'm leaning towards roguelites more because you can play one for 20 minutes and then stop and then play it again but it's different but you're still following the same progression do you know what i mean and and stuff like rogue legacy 2 and that kind of thing tend to be my go-to's at the minute because i'm like right i've got 20 minutes i'll just do a cycle of this and then I'll go and play something else or I'll go and do something else. So, yeah, finding time for big games like Atomic Heart is a chore for me at the minute. But I'm going to I'm gonna make an effort to play that one because I think it potentially could be really good. 
Yeah, and I think that's the problem with games these days, to be honest with you. They're, they're that hell-bent on making massive open-world things. Like I genuinely struggled with Elden Ring. Um, I, I am a Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro fanatic. I, they are really good games, um, if you can get into them. If you get past the first, you know, cliff that is supposed to be a speed bump... <laughs> But yeah, Elden Ring I genuinely struggled with because it's there's too much and I don't well, have I, the time. I struggled with it because it was the first game of that type that I've ever played. I've never played any Bloodborne, any sort of Dark Souls games before, but I saw somebody on YouTube playing Elden Ring and I was like, oh, I like the open worldy questy aspect of it rather than it being a bit more linear. I'll get it. So I bought the spe- special edition, went fully in on it. Got some little iron patches that I'll never use. It'll sit in a box somewhere forever. Played it for about 20 minutes, died probably 200 times and was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not good at this game immediately. And that's a problem. So I think what happened was I'd wandered off the wrong way because even though it's open world, there is like a very definite path right at the start, isn't there? That at least gets you into it a little easier and gets you a few weapons and stuff. I didn't go that way. I went the opposite way and ended up fighting some blokes that looked like the Burger King mascot, but ghosts. And they were battering me from about, I couldn't even get close to them without them killing me. And I was like, right, this isn't for me. So I turned it off. And then one of my friends is big into those games. So he came around and I ended up playing the role of advisor rather than player. So he was in charge of the game. And then I was like, right, you need to drink a potion. You're running low on health. And, and sort of monitoring the hood and telling him when he needed to do things. That was that was my role. That's what it became. Which, to be fair, I enjoyed because I got to experience the game and I didn't have all the frustration of dying like a million times to a big cat that spits fire at you and that kind of thing. So I did enjoy that and it is something we're going to pick up. But that's the same thing because we've not played it for a month or so. I don't know where we were on it and I don't know what we're doing next. So it is a big problem when, when you you're not unemployed like I used to be and you could sit there playing games all day every day and sort of remember where you were like I remember playing through Mass Effect 2 in like a day from start to finish I don't think I could do that now (laughs) I'd have to literally book time off work and I don't know if I'd have the will to do it even if I wanted to so it's little and often for me but I will give Atomic Heart a go and hopefully next next episode we can discuss that in terms of next episode, we've not actually decided, have we, what, what we're going to discuss out of the 100 next time. Oh, actually, no. before we get into that, we've not given a rating for Majora's Mask. So did we do out of five last week? I can't remember. I think it was that. No, it was out of 10. We gave... Out of 10. Yeah, because we gave yeah, we went seven. seven. So, I mean, I think I know where you're coming in on this, and I'm going to let you go first. Oh, it... it... I can't, I find it so hard. I know we said for Pokemon Gold, take it objectively, take the rose-tinted goggles off and try and give it an objective score. But this, I have such a fondness for this game um, and the world it built. I find it genuinely difficult to give an impartial review. Um, It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There are flaws that bring it down um, and the majority of the stuff we've talked about has been completely and utterly rose-tinted. But I would would give it personally a solid eight, eight and a half. 
Ooh, I was going to go a nine, so I can't believe I was higher than you. Uh, I, I mean, I'm happy to come up to a nine. <laughs> Objectively, yeah. But shall we go eight and a half? Eight and a half, because then it's sort of a halfway house. We can't have a ceiling of a ten this early for a start. And like no. you say, there are issues in it. It's not. It hasn't aged well looks wise, but then that's just N sixty four in general. And the remake, if the remake on DS had have looked amazing and played exactly the same, then yeah, there'd be an argument for giving it up in the nines. But the fact that they broke that just means that we we can't really go. So yeah, eight, I think eight and a half, and obviously above Pokemon Gold in in yeah. our hundred. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not really going to number ours yet because. They're not in any sort of way to number because I know last week I said our oh, Pokemon Gold has to go at 100, but then that's harsh. So we'll just say that Majora's Mask is above Pokemon Gold at the minute. So yeah, I think that's fair. And I think eight and a half is there could have been a case made for nine. Maybe we'll come yeah, back it, and revisit it. It's not for everybody, it really isn't. Um, I'm not going to say go out, buy this game, and you will love it as much as I do. Um, you you do have to have some sort of overall concept of what Zelda is as a series. So if if you're new to the series, don't start with Majora's Mask. Um, for the love of God, don't start with Majora's Mask. You will be completely confused and baffled by the majority of what goes on in the game. Um, but if you've played Ocarina and you've heard you know mixed reviews about Majora's Mask, go give it a go. Um, even if you play, played uh, Breath of the Wild go give Majora's Mask a go. There are characters in it that you will recognise and bits in it that are, are like foreshadowing of what they bring in Breath of the Wild and Wind Waker and stuff like that. So yeah, just give it a go. It's not for everybody, but at least try it. It, it's all, it all revolves around whether you can get into that three-day cycle, I think. If you can pick that up and get into it and understand how that works in terms of how you progress you'll be fine. But if, if that is too jarring for you to to sort of accept early doors, you're not going to have as much fun with it. You can still go and do the temples and stuff and get the enjoyment out of progression through those. But without fundamentally accepting that everything happens on a three-day timer and you're going to lose progress and you're going to lose money and you're going to have to do bits again to get to where you want to be, then you, you're going to struggle with it, I think. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, but just give it a try. So, next episode, I've just had a flick through, and I know I've just mentioned Mass Effect there, Mass Effect 2 specifically. Would that be something you'd be open to looking at next episode? Happy to do Mass Effect 2. Right, there you go. It's written in stone, so next week we'll probably be doing Metroid or something. Um, <laughs> but I think that wraps it up for this one, and thank you to everyone who's who's already listened to the first episode. We got way more listeners than I thought we would out of it. Uh, we were expecting one or two, uh, but it's it's been great to see how many people have listened, and I really hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed this one as well. But from me, that's that's all today. So I'll say goodbye, and and so will I. Um, see you in the next one. <laughs> <laughs>